this morning there's actually been such a beautiful flow in this meeting in terms of the prophetic words that came out. Um, and just for time, Gaynor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just keep going. But Gaynor basically gave this, this beautiful picture of, um, of puzzle and how this puzzle gets pieced together. And without each, each piece of the puzzle being there, the puzzle's not complete. And, um, and it's just there is something of the fact that as family, each of us have a place and a, and a, and a, a thing to do. Um, and I, as I was just processing with the Lord this week, Thank you for letting us have time off last week. Um, it was beautiful. The, the time we, we had the best time together, we didn't do anything. I think we slept more than anything else. And it was, it was brilliant. And I've got such an excitement to be back amongst you. It's like I'm back with my, with my friends and my family. Um, and as I was processing this, wor- this, this word with the, the Lord this week, I, I, I looked at my own life and I looked at the world and, and I found that actually... We've been conditioned to love and to celebrate winners, right? We, we, we love the strong guys. We, long, we love the champions. We want, to, we want to celebrate the Olympic winners, and we want to celebrate the, the World Cup rugby players, and you know, maybe it's the Oscars if you're into actresses or whatever the case may be. And you can say their names, and you know them, and, you, and we look up, up to them. And, um, and if I wanted to book this hall out, all I'd need to do is get somebody famous to come and share a testimony. And even people that are not in this church would come. The truth, eh? They'd come. You get, you get Sia Khaleesi or one of those big boys to come out here. People will come and they'll want to listen because they want to hear because he's, he's, there's something about him that's important, right? You know, and if I go somewhere, no one will come. And that's okay. You know what I mean? That, that, my, my wife would be there, yeah. Thanks, my girl. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's a, that was a little plug for some, uh, for some words of affirmation. It is a big thing for me. Words of affirmation is actually one of my love languages. So say nice things about me and I'll, uh, I'll run through the wall, of, wall for you. <laughs> But then, so to bring it back, thanks guys. This is, I feel like this is going to be messy today, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, so that's the world. But it got me thinking about even my own walk with the Lord and how when I look at the, the heroes of the faith for me in the Bible, like I, so, so I started writing these things down and I looked at it and I was like, David, bro, like that is the ultimate hero to me. I, uh, I, I, I just love him. He fought lions and bears, and then he sorted out Goliath, you know. Um, Elijah, another massive, as someone who loves the prophetic, this guy stands alone against 450 prophets, and he mocks them while they're busy doing their thing. And he calls down fire from heaven, and fire comes, and you guys know the story. If you don't, you can go and read it. And, um, and it's amazing. Like, this guy's a hero, and then you've got Samson, who's like a one-man wrecking ball against the Philistines. I mean, he kills a thousand of them with a, a donkey's jaw. You know what I mean? This oak is a, he's a, he's a machine, man. And I look at these oaks and I'm like, yeah, come on, boys. You know? But once again, I saw, okay, hold on. But even what I'm doing there is I am, I'm kind of looking at who are my heroes. And it's the mighty, it's the strong, it's the powerful. But, you know, with each of those guys, and it actually came out with what Chantal said, and it's come out a little bit more. With each of those guys, they had some pretty epic fails, too. 
they, 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 they failed big time in certain things. If we look at David, it was a time when the, when the Bible says it was a time when the kings were at war, which means David should have been on mission. He should have been out there doing what he needed to be doing, and he wasn't. And he stands on the top of the, the temple, and he looks down, and he sees a woman bathing, and we all know where that goes. And it starts with small sin, and it ends up with his friend getting killed, adultery, his friend getting killed, and then the baby that he has dying as well. Elijah has just called on fire from heaven. He's chopped up 450 prophets. And one lady says one sentence, and he goes running for his love. And he gets to the point where he actually says to God, God, don't you just want to kill me? Like, let's, let's do this. I'm done. Pressure's too much. I'm on out. And then we talk about the big boy, Samson. And Samson had a problem with the ladies. And he had a problem keeping his mouth shut. <laughs> and it cost him his life and his eyes. So we look at these guys and we think, phew, they're almighty. <laughs> they got it wrong, eh? And when I look at that, I actually feel quite encouraged. Because when I look at that, I see that God didn't put the full stop behind their failure. Elijah still came back and did amazing things. David was probably the greatest, uh, was probably the greatest king ever, in my opinion. And if you, look at, if you look at Samson, he killed more people in his own death than he had in the rest of his entire life. So they still got through that. So I think the message I want to get across to us this morning is that it's not about what we think is mighty and powerful and the stuff of legend. And we might look at ourselves, and I think when we look at ourselves, some of us are not even the heroes in our own stories. Because you know who you are when you look in the mirror. And you know what you've done when you look in the mirror. In our lives, as we look back, for those of us who are older and grayer, as we look back over our lives... We can have regret. Has anybody here got regret? Yes, we've got an honest bunch of people today. I like it. <laughs> I, I, I look back on my life and think, geez, you know what? I wasn't that successful businessman that was powerful and rich and had 12 houses and 35 cars. For some of us, we might be, might be thinking about our marriage and what we thought was going to be this amazing, beautiful rosy thing where we're just going to love each other and it's going to be awesome for all time. And actually right now our marriage is really hard and we're having to fight for unity and we're having to fight for things. We might have our once strong bodies that are now racked with illness and disease or just for those of us who are older, we've just gotten old and things don't work so much. I mean, like yesterday I was shaving my head and I got down on the ground to clean the hair up and I was like, <laughs> I was like, when did that happen? Like, what, what is this? And when, we, and when we look at ourselves, we think to ourselves, how could God use me? I think if some of us are honest, we honestly just disqualify ourselves. I mean, I can remember a day, I was in, still in Sunnydale, and I stood there, and there was a whole bunch of guys worshipping in the front row there. And I looked at all of them, and I said to myself, you know what, God, 
If I was you, I wouldn't pick me for anything. There were some beefcakes there, dude. Let me tell you, some of those guys were like six foot two. They had muscles the size of my head. Like, I'm looking, if I'm going to follow, that's the guy, right? That would be the oak that everyone would choose. If we had to choose a leader to take us into war, who would we choose? We'd probably choose the biggest, strongest, look most intimidating guy so that we could follow him. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And this morning, I want to show you three different people and three different circumstances to encourage you. So the first one is in Luke 21, verse 1 to 4. And I want to say to you that God uses the invisible. So let's read together. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. That's pretty profound. So I'll set the scene for you. So Jesus is sitting in the temple. He's got, he's got the, the disciples with him. And he's actually about to tell them some pretty profound stuff about how the temple is going to be destroyed. And there's going to be a whole lot of things that are going to happen. And he's, he's about to tell them. So he knows where he's at. And he's sitting there and he sees this poor widow. In another, con- another, uh, um, in another translation, it says she put in two mites. And those two mites are calculated to be about 1% of the average person's daily wage. So it's nothing big. It's not so much. And Jesus is sitting there and he's, he's, he's watching all these rich guys come with their purple cloaks and they're putting in gold and silver and all the rest of it. And he sees her and, and I'm paraphrasing her and he goes, whoa, whoa, shh, stop. Look there. Look at what she's just done. She's put in more than all the rest of them. And you know what's beautiful? Her name is never mentioned. But she's mentioned in two out of the four Gospels that we still read about today. Now, why am I telling you this? Is that you need to understand that this widow, and widows generally in Bible times, had no respect. They were invisible. They were outcast. Many of them would fall into things like slavery or prostitution just to be able to support themselves. Their families would see them as a drain and almost try to get rid of them. They had very little rights. So this lady is effectively the same as, I would say, probably many of the people that we choose not to look at on the corner. They have no relevance to our lives. They're not going to ever give us anything and why should we care about them? And Jesus sees her. And he tells them to look at what she does. She's not contributing very much, actually. I worked it out. If you worked at Spur and you earned 250 rand a day, her contribution would work out to 2 rand 50. For some of us, we would, I would just take it and throw it into one of the kids' piggy banks. But to Jesus, he saw that. He said, I receive that 2 rand 50. I receive it with joy. And I will make sure that this is spoken about throughout the ages. As long as they read the Bible, they will read about this woman. So last time you ever hear it from her, you don't, she's never mentioned again. 
And I want to say to you that it doesn't matter how small you think your contribution might be. It doesn't matter how invisible you think you might be in this church or in the world, in your place of influence. God sees your contribution. He sees your heart, and he receives it with thanksgiving and with joy. The second, sorry, the second group of people that God uses is the forgotten. So we spoke earlier about my man David. He's a boss. But he had a pretty inauspicious start to life. So let's read together in 1 Samuel 16. So this is actually a pretty humiliating scene. So Saul, I'll give you a bit of the backstory. Saul has fallen out of favor with God. He's sinned and, and God's not happy with him. So God comes to his prophet, Samuel, and says, go to Bethlehem and I'm going to show you the future king. So Samuel arrives, and as he arrives, you've got to understand the context of it. It's not, this, is not a, this is not a New Testament prophet that's coming to encourage, edify, and uplift. This is an Old Testament prophet that when he arrives, generally he's bringing the wrath of God with him. And he's here to tell you exactly how you've blown it and what God says you need to do to unblow it. So the elders arrive, he arrives, and the elders run up to him, and they're like, are you here in peace? And he says, yeah, yeah, just relax. I'm here to do a sacrifice. And then he says to Jesse, David's father, he says, consecrate yourself and bring your boys. We're going to go and do the sacrifice. So I'd imagine, like, at this point now, Samuel gets his boys together, and he gets them cleaned up and all the rest of it, and he's making... Jesse, sorry, Jesse is giving him a little clean there, and, okay, oh, you look all right. And now they're all the, kind of all lining up. And then the first son, Eliab, he walks up and presents himself in front of the prophet. And the prophet looks and he goes, surely this is the one. And God says, nope. He says, nope, it's not it. Let's just see, where do we go to? Let's keep going there uh, for... Samuel did, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely this is the guy. Surely this is the one that the Lord has anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah come past. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons past before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So you can imagine now, Samuel is a prophet. Like this guy gets it right all the time. He doesn't have any translation problems. He understands God. And he must be thinking, what is going on? So he says to Jesse, are these all your sons? And he said, 
There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. That's actually a rebuke. So imagine the scene. All of the seven, eight sons, or seven sons are standing there. They've all been rejected. And the prophet's going, what's going on here? Is this everyone? He goes, oh no, actually I've got this other son. He's out there looking after sheep. Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine I invite everybody in the church except you to come and have dinner with me. And there's pictures on Facebook, clickety-click, and Instagram, and, and, and you're kind of going, well, there's Tanya, and, and there's AP, and there's Ardis. And... I didn't crack it. I didn't get invited. So Samuel, which I love in that last verse there, he says, go and fetch him. He says, and we're not eating until you do. So I want it now. Look at his split. Let's go. Get him. And I can just imagine what happens. Whoever got sent to fetch David's duck, come, 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 bro, come, 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 the prophet's here. And he must be going, what do you mean? I'm looking after sheep. Why? And he arrives and all of his brothers are sitting there going, fuming because they haven't been chosen. And he arrives and he must be thinking, what's going on here? Why, why didn't I get invited? Why, why didn't I get called to this meeting? I mean, all the rest of my brothers here, my dad is here. None of the brothers said, what about David? The father didn't say about David. So I think we can understand that like when he's arriving, he's kind of going, I'm on the back foot. Now there's this prophet standing there. Yeah. If ever, if ever you have a right to feel forgotten, it's David. <laughs> he just arrives. He's been forgotten. He arrives. And then God says, that's the Rise and anoint him, Samuel. That's the one. And I just I thought about that moment. And I thought, you know what? How many of us feel forgotten? The world has moved on. Things are happening. God is raising up leaders here. And he's thrusting people into ministries there. And that guy's raising the dead. And that one's healing the sick. And there's all this stuff that's happening. What about me? I don't even get invited have a leadership training time, I don't get invited. There's a prophetic training time, I don't get invited. When there's something happening, I don't get invited. And slowly but surely, actually what we do is we just start putting us in the cannot be used section, out there looking after the sheep. And interestingly with David, he actually, so he comes in, he gets anointed, and then what does he do? He goes back to the sheep. And maybe for some of us, actually God's given you a promise. Maybe God has spoken a destiny over your lives and you haven't seen it manifested, so you just go, okay, well, I guess I'm forgotten. I guess God changed his mind. I want to say to you, God uses the forgotten powerfully as he did with David. Third one. God uses those who don't think they are deserving. It's another one of my favorite stories. It's the story of Gideon. How many of you know Gideon? So we enter the, the so here's the backstory. So Israel is living in caves, in mountains. Like they're not living their best life now. 
They have very little food. And every time they plant food, their opposing nations come and take their food. So these guys are in a terrible situation. And they're crying out to God and they're going, God, help us, God, help us, God, help us. And God says to them, let me just remind you of who I am and then I'll remind you of who you are. He says, I am the God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I delivered you out of the hand of Egypt and your oppressors. I drove them out before you. I gave you, the, I gave you their, their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You must not fear the God of the Amorites in the land that you dwell. But you didn't obey me. So what he's saying is you're getting your comeuppances. I've won all these victories for you, but you're still afraid of them. You're still afraid of their gods. And that's why you're suffering. And I can imagine those, those guys going, okay, I guess we just got to make you, we just, this is it. I guess we got to just get used to this. We are going to suffer for our disobedience. And the heart of God comes out. And let's read it together in Judges 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon, Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has this all happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Fascinating story. So much in there, actually, if you read it. I can't understand how people wouldn't want to read their Bible. There's so much there. That redemptive heart of God, even though they've been disobedient, and they've feared other, other gods, he still wants to come and redeem them. And I look, I've often thought about Gideon and myself and gone, how would I have reacted? Put yourself there. I think we sometimes read this stuff without being there exper experientially. Let's imagine you're sitting at your home, Francois, and the angel of the Lord appears in front of you and tells you to go and do something. You think you're going to do it? Let's be honest. How many people think that you're you getting told you're going to go and defeat the armies of America? And the angels. There's an angel standing, a physical angel standing in front of you. How many of you are going to go, yeah, sure, let's go. I like you. Okay, you got some faith. You guys have got some faith. All right. I, I appreciate that. I, I must be honest. I don't think I would just, I think I would be just like Gideon. Because Gideon goes, but God... Do you, do you know who I am? Like, like, there's a whole bunch of clans and mine's the weakest. Like, we're the clan that the other oaks you know, kick sand in our eyes and they give us the worst cave with the most moss and the most wet because like, we're not strong enough to defend ourselves. 
And out of all of those guys, I'm the youngest, which means I have the least rights, the least privileges, the least is expected of me. I'm basically almost just a slave to all of my brothers and sisters. And once again, God is looking so much deeper than what we see. And I think one of the reasons why God chose Gideon is because he actually knew who he wasn't. He knew who he wasn't. Yet he was willing to go on a little bit of faith and a lot of signs and wonders. And as you can go and read, go and read about it, it's awesome. He asks him to do this and then God does that. And then he says, okay, but can you just do this too, please? And then could you do that? And, you know, he kind of finally, he gets to the stage where he, he finds enough grace to go and do this. And he is the one who brings with God redemption to Israel. And I want to say to you guys, there's not many of us here that belong to an auspicious family. I have no wine farms in my family line. There's no mansions. We don't own any jets. None of, our, none of my line were kings or queens that I know of. If anyone could prove me wrong, I'm happy to be proven wrong there. Um, <laughs> I don't come from anything impressive. My father wasn't the owner of a company. My mother didn't create Paris couture. I don't come from anything. And very few of you do. Maybe some of you guys have got some really auspicious lines, and that's great. But for most of us, actually, we have nothing behind us. We're not those people that God is going to look at and go, yes, or the world is going to look at and say, okay, I'm going to pick you for president, and I'm going to pick you for prime minister. And we're going to make you chairman. Many of us won't ever get there. But if you're sitting here today, I want to say to you, God's chosen you. And he's come to you and he said, I am with you, mighty man, mighty woman of valor. Because if he didn't, then why would we be saved? If there was nothing for us to do, if there was no reason for us to be here, if we had no part to play, then when we responded to the Lord, wouldn't he just zip, take us to heaven, be done with it? But God has got stuff for us to do. He's got things that he wants us to do. And let's read in Ephesians 2 from verse 8 to 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works that no man may boast. So God just, he's knocking us down a peg and he's saying salvation is not about you. It's all about what I've done. Without me, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, there's no way to God. But then he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. That means you. That means that God has prepared good works in advance for you to walk in. There is stuff that God wants you to do. There are victories that God wants you to have. And our job is to make sure that we are doing that, that we are bringing what we have and walking into those good works. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27, it says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. Yes, that's you and that's me. In the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Isn't that encouraging? We don't have to have any pressure to be perfect. We don't have to have any pressure to be shining in the world's eyes. We can be gentle. We can be meek. We can be foolish. And people will look at your Christianity and say, you are foolish. How can you listen to a book that's 7,000 years old? Come on, man. The world's moved on. Aren't you progressive? Can't you move with technology? You know, you believe a book from two, 7,000 years ago, but how come you've got the latest iPhone? Why aren't you still using the iPhone 5? You know, you progress in other things in life. And the things that we are going to present to people, they're going to look at us and go, it's foolishness. When young girls in school say no thank you to unholy things, and their friends say, but what's wrong with you, man? Everyone else is doing it. They're going to look at you, they're going to think you're foolish. And God says, yeah, be foolish. Because I will use those things for my good. I will use you to shame those that think that they are wise. I want to say to you that whether you've been safe for 50 years and you've got gray hair, like me and my mumsy over there, or whether you got saved 10 seconds ago, God wants to use you. He's got a plan for you. He's got works for you to do. And I want to say to you this morning, I really do, I want to say to you, are you walking in that which God has got for you? Or even further, do you actually know what God has got for you? Do you know what he's called you to? And part of the reason that we do this thing, this thing called church, the first and the only reason that we do it for primarily is to give God glory and to show the world the beauty of his bride. But secondly, it's our job to help you and for you to help others to walk into all that they have, to walk into the good works that they have. And like the words that have come out in the meeting, if we all do our bit, the body grows and has life. As we all come together and we all do our little bit, we bring our little word, our little song, our little hymn, our little tongue, our interpretation. As we do those things, this thing starts to have life. And it looks like what God's created it to be. And as we close, I want to say to you that today, as with Gideon, God is sending you his messenger. It's not an angel. It's just, it's just me. It's just me. But God is looking at you, every single one of you from the youngest to the oldest, from the strongest to the weakest. And he says, I am with you, O mighty man, O mighty woman of valor. So the worship team can come out, please, if you don't mind. And um, I don't know if you feel encouraged. I hope you do, because <laughs> I feel encouraged. But I want to... 
I want us just to, as we go into worship, to be mindful of the fact that God wants to use us. And also, just to, to remind ourselves that God is with us. And I want to challenge you. If you don't know what your part is to play within the life of this body, you need to speak to somebody. You need to find your place. You need to, because we need you to do what you do. Because if you don't, if you leave the salt out of the bread that you're making, it's not going to taste great. If you don't put in the yeast, if you don't put in the baking powder, if you don't put in that instrument, that specific ingredient, sorry, we will not be something beautiful. You have a part to play. Is that right? I want to pray for us and we're going to worship. So Father, I thank you this morning that you've illustrated to us so clearly that it's not in the strength of horses. It's not in the strength of chariots that we, you put, we must put our faith, but it's in the Lord himself, Lord. And that as you look at us, you don't look at us for the strength that we possess, for how much finance we have, for the strength in our muscles, or the t- talent or the gifts. You look at our hearts, and you look for hearts that say, here I am, Lord, send me. I pray for all those who've heard the call. I pray for those that feel like they're forgotten and invisible. I pray for those that think that they are undeserving. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come and deposit faith in them this morning? Would you come and deposit a boldness in them this morning? Would you come and deposit a fire and a hunger within them to play their part within this body? I ask you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. As we worship, would you just bless us with your presence? Bless us with your faith. And come and send us out, Lord, that we can walk into those good works that you've prepared for us beforehand. In Jesus' name, amen.